We can be turning in your Bibles to Genesis 15. We're not going to read that for a few minutes, but that will be the first passage that we will look at for this afternoon. I'm going to try to have a few questions for you guys to keep you awake. Uh, So make sure you're staying awake and listening uh, so that you can answer some questions. Remember, we're continuing what we started this morning based off of 2 Corinthians 1.20, that all of the promises of God are yes in Christ. So all the covenants of promise, covenants of grace, find their fulfillment in Christ. And so we've got to Noah this morning, and this afternoon we'll be looking at Abraham, the covenant with Moses or with Israel, then David, and then finally the new covenant. So we'll be looking at it this afternoon, so uh, let's pray again for God's blessing on our time. Lord God, we say, as the writer of the psalm did, Oh, how we love your law. It is our meditation all the day. Uh, we desire it, Lord, more than anything else, uh, more than the riches of this world. We desire to know your word. And so we come here this afternoon to study your word so that we might know your mind better, we might know your will, what your desires are for us, and your plan of salvation in Christ. We pray for your help. We pray for your Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Uh, Give us wisdom, keep us from error, help us to understand your word. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, my goal for this afternoon is to inoculate you. Uh, you know, an inoculation is you get a little bit of a virus in a shot to build up your immunity so that you won't uh, be sick or die from that virus. And my goal is to inoculate you into Baptist versions of the covenants, covenant theology. Uh, the reason for that is that, from my experience, uh, you get uh, some uh, appetizers of the covenants. You start to understand them a little bit, and sometimes people want to learn more. They find it interesting. It helps them understand the Bible. And so they go wanting to study and wanting to learn. And what you will find, if you, probably if you just did a Google search right now, covenant theology Maybe the first thing will come up will be somebody like R.C. Sproul. Or uh, if you buy some books and look into it more, you'll find uh, John Calvin or uh, the Puritans or uh, another modern guy like Michael Horton. And all these people are those who baptize infants. They are the ones who really have done a lot of study and published a lot of books and lots of messages on uh, the covenants. And so there's really just not a lot out there from Baptists about this topic. And so uh, sometimes people dive into the subject and they end up going down the, the Pado Baptist route, the route of baptizing infants, because they think if I believe covenant theology, then that's where it has to lead to. And so my goal is to give you a Baptist taste of that. So you can hear it first from the Baptists which, of course, I believe is the, the right perspective, and that's what our church believes. So you can hear that there's a Baptist version of understanding the covenants and 
then you can go read all the, the Presbyterian guys and, and you'll know that they're, they're wrong about something. So that's the goal. So we're continuing with the covenant of grace. The offspring of the woman later uh, becomes uh, Noah through the covenant is, is kept through. Everybody else is destroyed. So now we know the offspring is one of the offspring of Noah, somebody from Noah's family. But now, uh, as Noah's family uh, has more and more descendants, God is going to narrow down that covenant of grace even more now through another man named Abram, who's going to change his name to Abraham. So that's the first covenant we're going to look at, God's covenant with Abraham. It starts in chapter 12, and I'm not going to read that, but God makes the promise there in chapter 12 for the first time. He's going to make Abram into a great nation, and that he, uh, all those who bless Abram will be blessed, those who curse him will be cursed. So that's the promise, uh, and he also promises the land of Canaan. Well, that, let's get to uh, chapter 15, where we see then the promise is ratified. And so to be ratified, you know, is basically like a, a ceremony to institute it, to put it into place. It's like a wedding ceremony. We have a ceremony where we ratify the covenant that a man and a woman might make. And so God is going to ratify or put into place his covenant with Abraham through this ritual. And so he gives him the promise again, chapter 15, verse 5. Uh, it, God brought Abraham outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. So that's one of the promises. You will have offspring, physical offspring, as many as the stars in the sky. Abraham, verse 6, believes the Lord and it's counted to him as righteousness. His faith is counted as righteousness. And then God says in verse 7, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. So again, it's the land of Canaan. That's another part of God's promise to Abraham. And so to institute this promise, they're going to do this ritual that to us will probably sound pretty gruesome. In verse 9, he tells him to bring all these different animals, and God tells Abram to cut them in half. That means each animal gets cut in half. I'm guessing it's left and right, cut, cut down the middle. Uh, so Abram is told to put half of the animal on the left side, and the other half on the right side. This was a common way in Old Testament times to make a covenant. There are many examples of this among Hittites and all these other tribes, all these nations. This is how they would make a covenant. You would cut an animal in half, and the person would walk through the animals as they're set on the side. Uh, then, uh, after Abraham cuts them in half. Abraham falls asleep, and this is what happens in verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. So what is this uh, flaming torch? 
anybody have a guess? What does the flaming torch represent? Any ideas? Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, it's God. God is one who is the consuming fire. So God is appearing uh, in a fire, right? So he's appearing as this smoking fire pot and flaming torch. And so in a vision, it's as if God is walking through the carcasses of the animals on each side. What's the point? Why is God doing this? Well, the person who's walking through the animals is basically bringing a potential curse on themselves. It's a way of them saying, if I break this covenant, then this is what should be done to me. You can cut me in half if I break this covenant. Now notice here in verse 17, it's only the torch who passes through or that passes through the animals. Abraham doesn't walk through it. This is not a contract or a covenant that's going to be dependent on what Abraham does. It depends on what God does. God is making an unbreakable promise. Just like the bow, remember? In this case, God is saying, if I break this covenant, you can cut me in half. And we know that God cannot be cut in half. So, it's God's way of saying, this promise, this covenant that I'm making with you, cannot and will not be broken. The promise of offspring, the promise of the land of Canaan. One more time, we have the covenant with Abram in Genesis 17. And here, God adds to it a sign for Abraham. So, again, here in our modern culture, we would have signs of covenants. Uh, We have things like wedding rings. When we make a covenant, we exchange rings. And that's a visible, outward sign of a covenant that we have made. Well, here we have a different kind of sign. Uh, Verse 6, chapter 17 God says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful and I will make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and your offspring after you, the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And I'll keep reading. Verse 9, God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And so... Uh, this way that he describes of keeping the covenant or the way of being in the covenant, the sign that you are in the covenant is that every male is circumcised. And so Abram 
circumcises his male children and even the servants that belong to him. Everyone who is part of his household, they are to be circumcised as a sign of the promise that God gave to Abraham. So the sign of a a physical circumcision shows us some of the physical aspects to this covenant that God made with Abraham. So let me try to ask you again, what are some of the physical things, tangible earthly things that God promises to Abraham? John, father of many nations, okay, so nations, yeah, the land of Canaan, God, that he will be the God uh, to Abraham, yes, yes, I will, I'll describe that as a spiritual aspect, but yes, that is one of the promises, Leo, Many descendants. Good. So yeah. So there are physical promises of actual earthly things. And so this, I think, helps us understand why is circumcision the sign? Well, because it has to do with reproduction. It has to do with fathering children. Okay? So... The having children is part of the promise of the covenants, physical children. And if you have lots of physical children and family, you're going to have a nation. And these will multiply, you'll have many nations. And where are these people going to live? They need land. Okay, so God is promising them land because they need a place to live because they're physical people. And so there's an aspect to Abraham's promise that God is fulfilling physically on this earth. And God kept his promise. God brought a huge family and huge nation from Abraham. God brought many nations through, you know, someone like Ishmael, who was also his son. And Esau had another nation. And God also gave them land. So they had the land of Canaan. They entered into it through Joshua and then later David and Solomon. They they conquered all those territories. So God fulfilled his unbreakable promise. We're going to get to the new covenant. And the new covenant is different. The new covenant is not about having physical children. And so that's the difference of the physical sign. Physical sign of circumcision that some people would say baptism replaces that sign. You don't give to your children in the new covenant because the new covenant is not about physical descendants. We'll get to that, but hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. It's about entering into spiritually. So the Abrahamic covenant has a physical sign because it has physical promises and fulfillments. But there's also a spiritual aspect to it. And this is the part that finds its yes 
in Jesus Christ. Where the New Testament is very clear that, to, that uh, when God promised Abraham an offspring, he was promising Christ. He was promising the Savior. You know, Paul makes that point that to us is really strange. He wasn't promising offsprings, plural. He was promising an offspring, which is Christ, one person. So there was a physical part, but there's also the spiritual part that God is promising Abraham that Christ would come from his family. Christ would be from the Jews, from Israel. And the promise is also that anyone who belongs to Christ and has faith in Christ can become a child of Abraham. You can become a son of Abraham. You are heirs if you have faith in Christ. So, why is the covenant with Abraham important to us? Well, it shows us that salvation is by faith alone in Christ alone. Paul makes that point many times, but especially in Galatians, in Galatians 3 and 4, when he's talking about the covenant with Abraham, he's saying the purpose of that covenant is to show us that all nations can become sons of Abraham through faith in Jesus Christ. When God saves you, the reason he is saving you is because he has made a way for you to become a son of Abraham. You get to inherit the same promise. You get to be part of the covenant promise that God made to Abraham. So that's the covenant with Abraham. We're going to go on now to the covenant that we call uh, the Mosaic Covenant or the covenant at Sinai with Israel. So you can be turning to Exodus chapter 19. So the covenant of grace being revealed step by step, uh, promised to Noah, then to Abraham, and then Abraham has children. We know that people like Esau are rejected, but the line continues through Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons, and they all go down to Egypt. Jacob's family goes down to Egypt, and so it's Jacob's family that's in Exodus that gets rescued. And God makes this covenant at Mount Sinai with Jacob's family, and he makes them into a nation, the nation of Israel. So look what he says in chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. He says, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So unlike the promise to Noah and the promise to Abraham, this covenant is different. It is breakable. Because it doesn't depend 
on only God's faithfulness. It depends also on the people's faithfulness. You see that word, if? Verse 5, if you obey my voice, and if you keep my covenants, then you'll be my treasured possession. Then you'll be my people. So for the nation of Israel, they have the privilege of having a covenant with God as long as they obey him. As long as they are faithful to their end of the bargain. So think about contracts today. Think about uh, a contract with your employer. Your employer promises to pay you a certain amount. But you are also making some promises. You're promising to do a certain job. To do certain tasks. And it's a very conditional thing, right? They are only going to pay you if you do what you promise to do. That's the kind of contract that this is. They can be God's covenant people as long as they obey. So this is the story that we see all over the Old Testament. God's people disobey and disobey and disobey. And God is very patient. He's very kind. He gives them chance after chance. He sends prophet after prophet. I mean, we're gonna, you know the story. Even, even right then, after he gives them the Ten Commandments, they're building golden calves. And yet, Moses pleads for them. And God is still patient. God is very patient. But these are the terms of the covenant. If you disobey me, you're no longer my people. I'm sending my curses upon you. And so that's what happens at the end of the Old Testament. The people of Israel go into exile and Israel is destroyed. And eventually, even when Jesus comes and he preaches to Israel, they reject him. And so the temple is destroyed in the year 70 and Jerusalem is destroyed. It's a sign of God's curse upon the nation of Israel because they've rejected God. So this gets to some of the things that I brought up earlier today about how do we interpret the Old Testament. Are we supposed to take these promises about the temple and God's presence in the temple? Do we take them literally? Are we supposed to rebuild the temple? Are we supposed to have people move back to the land of Israel? Is that God's plan? Well, the answer is no. Because Israel as a nation... God has rejected because they have rejected him. Now, people who are Jews, who are Israelites, they can still have faith in Christ. They can still become true heirs of Abraham. But they're no different at that point than any, anybody else in any other nation. Anyone can have faith in Christ. But when we're talking about the nation of Israel... God no longer is calling them his covenant people because they've rejected, they've broken the covenant. Now, there are some other examples of how we interpret the Old Testament. So uh, you guys know the famous verse in 2 Chronicles 7. Lots of people quote about how you know, if there's a famine, God is, God is talking to Solomon. And he says, if there's a famine, if there's drought, plagues, if my people will humble themselves, And turn from their wicked ways and call out to me, then I will heal their land. You know that verse? 
Well, how do we interpret that as Christians today? Is God giving us a promise? Well, no. Because that promise is made to a nation under a specific covenant. That is a promise. If they obey, then God will heal their land. But America is not Israel, first of all. And we are not under that same covenant. God does not promise to heal our land, to give us rain if we will pray to him. But that was a promise that you could bank on if you were an Israelite. And there are lots of things like that in the Old Testament that people like to take out of context they like to make it about Christians or make it about America, but they're, they're thinking of America as equal to Israel, and it's not. Well, in uh, chapter 24, there's one more passage we need to look at where they institute this covenant that God is making with Israel. Chapter 24, verses 6 through 8. Notice there's a pattern of blood in these covenants. Chapter 24, verse 6, Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So he seals the covenant in blood. And they uh, actually sprinkle the blood on the, the book of the covenant. So here's a question. What is the book of the covenant? I'm just going to wait and see. Somebody's going to make a guess at least, okay? What's the book of the covenant? Chris. Ten commandments. Wrong. (laughs) Any other guess? Well, we, it can't be the Ten Commandments because they were written on tablets, stone tablets. Um, so what is the Book of the Covenant? Okay, Bob, first. Um, <laughs> Okay, that's close. Anybody else want to venture? <laughs> okay, well, close. So the obviously the uh, Pentateuch would not have been finished, you know, the Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. But it is the law of Moses, the law that God gives to Moses, basically from chapters 21 and 22 and 23. 
So in chapter nine, uh, sorry, in chapter twenty, God gives the Ten Commandments on the tablets of stone, and then separately, you have all of these laws and rules. Chapters twenty-one, twenty-two, and twenty-three. So that is what's called the book of the covenant, up to that point, at least. And then we know God adds more laws in Leviticus and Deuteronomy especially. Now, why would that matter? Well, uh, Hebrews 9 talks about this, um, with the, the blood of animals being sprinkled on the book of the covenant and how the blood of Christ is greater And the point that the writer of Hebrews is trying to make in Hebrews 9 is that the old covenant is done away with. Because that was sprinkled with animal's blood, whereas we are now under the blood of Christ. And so that brings up the issue of what part of the Old Testament is done away with. What do Christians need to keep? Do Christians need to keep the Ten Commandments? Yes, good answer, <laughs> right answer. But why? So remember, there, there are some people who would say, all the Old Covenant is done. Uh, even the Ten Commandments. And they would say, as this is related to the Sabbath especially, the Sabbath is done away with, because we know Jesus says not to murder, but Jesus never says you should keep the Sabbath. We can argue about that. But there are people who think uh, we don't have to obey any of the Old Testament laws, even the Ten Commandments. And so we should respond that it's the book of the covenants, the Old Covenant laws that are done away with, but not the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are actually, even here in Exodus, they're set apart as different And uh, we would call that the moral law of God. So which part of the Old Testament is done away with? Well, it's what we call the civil laws and the ceremonial laws. The ceremonial laws are the worship, the animal sacrifices, the festivals, all those things. They're done away with because of Christ. And the civil laws are done away with. So there is this trend. I don't understand why it's so popular. There's a fad right now of this movement of people who want to reinstitute the laws of Moses for America. I don't understand. The Bible is so clear that these laws are done away with. We do not execute witches because God told Moses to do that through the nation of Israel. We don't need to do that. All of that is done away with under the old covenant. And remember, America is not Israel. So, the law of Moses is done away with. It has been broken and we have now a better covenant. We need a new covenant. Well, the next one we're going to look at is the covenant with David. uh, Psalm 89. You can turn there. We're going to start reading in verses 19 through 37. 
Okay, so if you're tracing this again, I'm repeating it, Noah through Abraham, who then goes through the sons of Jacob, who are the nation of Israel. And now it's going to get narrowed down even more. The covenant of grace is going to come through not only one of the sons of Israel, but someone from the tribe of Judah and from the family of David. Now, before I read, I mean, we're not going to talk too much about this covenant, but you might wonder, why is it so important? Well, anybody know uh, how much of the Bible is Old Testament? What percentage of the Bible is the Old Testament? Or just guess. Two-thirds? Close, very close. A little more. <laughs> A little less. <laughs> 70%-ish. So around 70% of the Bible is Old Testament. Now, uh, from Ruth all the way to Malachi, basically has to do with David. Uh, in some way is related to the story of, of David and the covenant with David. So only the first six books of the Old Testament, or seven, uh, would be kind of not really related to David. So if you think about it this way, uh, so 70% of the Bible's Old Testament, and then almost all the Old Testament is related somehow to David. That's probably 50% of the Bible, I would say. So basically, if you're going to try to read the Bible, and you're going to read through it, 50% of it, uh, you need to understand, has something to do with what God is doing through King David. So let's see what God promises him in uh, Psalm 89, uh, verse 19. Of old you spoke in a vision to your godly one and said, I have granted help to one who is mighty. I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David, my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him, so that my hand shall be established with him. My arm also shall strengthen him. The enemy shall not outwit him. The wicked shall not humble him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down those who hate him. My faithfulness and my steadfast love shall be with him, and my na- in my name shall his horn be exalted. I will set his hand on the sea and his right hand on the rivers. He shall cry to me, You are my Father, my God, and the rock of my salvation. And I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. My steadfast love I will keep for him forever, and my covenant will stand firm for him. I will establish his offspring forever and his throne as the days of the heavens if his children forsake my law and do not walk according to my rules if they violate my statutes and do not keep my commandments then i will punish their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes but but i will not remove from him from david my steadfast love or be false to my faithfulness i will not violate my covenant Or alter the word that went forth from my lips. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness. I will not lie to David. His offspring shall endure forever. His throne as long as the sun before me. Like the moon, it shall be established forever. A faithful witness in the skies. 
So what we see from this passage is that the covenant is unbreakable. Just like the promise to Abraham. It's not based on their obedience, on David's obedience. He says, even if David's children forsake and disobey his law, yet still God will be faithful because he made a promise to David. So there will come the king from the line of David. The one who will crush the serpent's head will now be a king. And he will establish a kingdom. And we find this promise, as you know, finds its yes in Jesus Christ. Where the New Testament says over and over again that Jesus is the king of David. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2 verse 8, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David. Well, now we come to the new covenant. The new covenant is the best one. It's the final one. It's the fruition and the flowering of all of God's promises. They will all come to fulfillment and will finally be realized. There's nothing after it. There's nothing better than it that's going to come. It's coming through the new covenant. So let's look at Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 to 34. You're going to see multiple contrasts with the covenant God made with Moses or with Israel at Mount Sinai. So there are four things that we want to see about this new covenant and why it is so much better. First, the new covenant is unbreakable. Verse 31 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Israel broke their covenant. In contrast here, though, that those in the new covenant, they will be part of a covenant that is unbreakable. It doesn't depend on your obedience. It doesn't depend on your faithfulness. It depends on the faithfulness of the one who promised the covenant, the one who makes the covenant. He says that he will not break it. So you can't Get yourself out of the new covenant if you're truly in it. You are in. It's unbreakable. Okay? Second, it's in internal. Internal. Verse 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. So unlike the old covenant with Israel where the law was written on stone tablets, this law in the new covenant will be written 
on their hearts. He will put his law within them. So what does that mean? Does that just mean we know the law? We don't have to look at the Ten Commandments because the law is on our hearts? That's not what it means. And Ezekiel 36 also talks about this. What it means for the law to be written on your heart is that your heart is changed so that you have a desire to obey the law. You are a repentant person. You care when you break God's law. Your heart is not hard towards God. So this is the contrast. You could be a member of the nation of Israel and just have a law on the outside. You know what's right and wrong, but you could still be an Israelite and have no desire to obey it. And you can still live in the land of Canaan and God gives you his promise and and you don't care about God at all. Look at Nadab and Abihu. They, They lived for at least 30 years under the blessings of the covenant of Israel, living in the land and having the worship of God. But their hearts were far from God. And so that's the contrast. In this covenant, everyone who is in the covenant has their hearts changed. They are born again. They are regenerate. You cannot be in the new covenant if you don't have the law written on your hearts. He goes on uh, into the third point is that the law is universal. And we see that in the beginning of verse, verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. It's a similar idea. Not only do you have repentance, you care, you grieve that the law of God is broken, but you know the Lord. Everyone. All shall know me. Okay, so if you are in the new covenant, you know the Lord. From the least to the greatest, and that's talking about rich or poor, high or low. It's talking about status. It doesn't matter what your status is. It doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter what the world says about you or sees in you. Everyone will know the Lord. And to know the Lord is not to know about the Lord. It's to have a relationship with the Lord. This is obvious throughout the Bible, what it means to know the Lord. Adam knew his wife. We know what that meant. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she had a son. He didn't know about Eve. He knew her. He had an intimate relationship with her. That's what it means to know the Lord can't be in the new covenant if your heart has not been regenerated and you don't have true knowledge of God. Ishmael was circumcised and had the covenant promise of Abraham and so did Esau. But they did not know the Lord. They were not part of the new covenants. They were not part of the true covenant of grace because their hearts had not been changed. Moses kept saying over and over again, circumcise your hearts because you guys 
think that your physical circumcision is good enough. It's not good enough. What God really wants is for your hearts to be born again. The last aspect of the new covenant is that it is final. The end of verse 34, For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Forgiveness is final. Salvation is final. Salvation is accomplished. Your sins are done away with. Your sins are gone. When you enter the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ, he forgives your iniquities and he remembers your sins no more. Everyone in the new covenant has their sins fully, completely forgiven. This is why the new covenant is only for believers in Christ. This is the difference between the promise to Abraham when God says, I will be God to you and to your offspring. That's because it was a promise about physical descendants. But God does not say, I hear, I will be God to you and to your offspring. He says, if you're in the covenant, you must know me. You must have your sins completely forgiven. And we know that believers have children and some of them will not know the Lord. Some of them will not have their sins forgiven. So there's no conditions here. You're either in the covenant or you're not. And so you enter the covenant through Christ. Through placing your faith in Christ and following him. Well, we see that Jesus comes to bring the new covenant. Luke chapter 22, verse 20. At the Last Supper, Jesus says, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. It's Jesus' blood that is better than those carcasses that Abraham passed through or the blood of those goats that Moses sprinkled on the book of the covenant. Jesus' blood is what seals the covenant for all who know the Lord. And it's like the bow again. When God looks upon you, even as a Christian, he looks upon you and in one sense probably gets very frustrated with you and me. And he says, why don't you love me more? Why don't you trust me enough? You really think that I have bad designs for you in this. How can you be so foolish yet again? And like the bow, he looks at the blood. He looks at the blood of the covenants and he says, yes, I made the promise. I made the promise that I will remember your sins no more. The father hears him pray, his dear anointed one, and he cannot turn away the presence of his son. Five bleeding wounds he bears, received on Calvary, They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. And so God says, I will remember your sins no more because of the blood of my son. This is the promise 
that you can take to the bank. It is unbreakable if you are in the new covenant. You can enter the new covenant by faith in Jesus Christ. So I hope you see throughout these covenants in the Old Testament that all the promises of God find their yes in Christ. And we live now in the new covenant under so much of a better promise from God than Abraham did and Moses did. All the promises of God find their yes and amen. And so we utter our amen to God for his glory. We praise him for what God has done in Christ. And I hope you can say, as we sang earlier, that you are a debtor to mercy alone and of covenant mercy you sing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came to do the will of your Father, that you gave up the glories of heaven, and you did not turn away from suffering, but set your face like flint to go to the cross. Thank you for sealing the new covenant in your blood. And we praise you, God, for the Holy Spirit who for many of us has caused us to be born again, who has changed our hearts and changed our desires and given us a new nature. Thank you for your work to bring us into this new covenant. Help us to rest in your grace. Help us to rest upon the merits of and the blood of Jesus Christ, and not our own. Help us to praise you more for your covenant mercy. We pray in Jesus' name.